This is an interview with Stan Hom. Stan is a 3D character animator who's worked on games like Star Wars The Force Unleashed, Mafia 3, which is how I know him, and The Callisto Protocol. He's also a martial artist and a Hong Kong film nerd, so he and I get along really well. Uh, we talk about motion capture, character animation, movement, and violence. I think it all started with uh, uh, Jackie Chan's Dragon Lord. I was five years, four or five years old at that time, and my mom took me to see that. And I still remember that to this day when uh, he did that that little the football game. He was climbing the pyramid to get that the, the golden football. <laughs> that was a big inspiration for me, you know. And that's when I first saw him, and and I got me excited, you know. So he was pumping out movies like every two or years, so years, right? And I always wanted to see Jackie Chan. That's uh, when my mom always took me to see uh, Jackie, you know, along with Yun Biu and Hong Gumbo. Uh, those guys and I was always following that trio so yeah just from there on uh, um, and I'd, I'd come home as a kid you know got my Star Wars action figures and reenacted a lot of scenes with the they didn't have the joints back they weren't like G.I. Joe's they didn't have the joints back then but <laughs> I was reenacting scenes when I was a kid so that it kind of started there is there anything about how the how how they did their action that stuck out to you and those are three very different guys by the way but yeah what could you point to that really stuck out with their action style that you liked Man, Jackie could, he was like the, the founder of parkour, right? And I always found, he always knew how to use the environments, always. And I found that that kind of thing fascinating, you know, uh, things I never thought of. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, it just, uh, that always stuck with me, you know. He's, he was always creative with that, you know. Uh, um, not so much Yunbiu. Yunbiu was more, uh, uh, how do you say, uh, he's more intricate with his moves. He's very uh, uh, precise, you know. Uh, Hong Kong Bo was always the, the the big guy that could do flips. That's how, that's how I remembered him. He was, I don't know where that guy gets his stamina. Yeah, you, you really felt like um, sort of the prodigy in terms of a performer. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like a Jet Li, but a Southern style of, of Jet Li almost, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you do, did you do any martial arts growing up as a kid? Nope. <laughs> I I did not. I I, uh, I started quite late. I, I started uh, boxing when I was thirty. So yeah, it was it was quite late. In fact, my my twenties, I was uh, that was my years of not no athleticism in my twenties because I was all about focusing on uh, breaking an industry and, and making a name for myself as an animator. How, how did you start as an animator? Flipbooks? What was it? I'm sixteen years old. I got a hold of a piece of software cut. I think it was the Disney Animation Kit. <laughs> And I was drawing on a mouse with that. Uh, so that was just goofing around as when I was a kid. Uh, so my first animation job was with a startup called RealNet when I was 21. And so um, that was the time where I, I did everything. I think that's how a lot of guys started in the beginning. Back then, they did a little bit of everything. Texturing, environmental modeling, animation, rigging. They did all that. you know. Um, uh, and then... As time went on, you start to feel which discipline are you more most comfortable with, and you ask to be more a part of that department, and, and that's kind of how what molded me. Uh, I gravitated towards animation because I, I'm not so much an illustrator. I can't see things when they're in a still frame. I understand things when they're more in movement. Yeah, so you're you're much more of a character animator. Yeah, yeah, almost definitely, most definitely. What is your focus when you're making a character move? What's your thought process for going from point A to point B? Those silhouettes, those shapes of uh, and, the, and those dynamic poses, those were always uh, those keyframes to me. Those were always the, the key points that I always like, like to try to recreate. Uh, and that's what resonates with me. I mean, there's like an illustrator. They can draw out those key poses and, and mark them up uh, uh, as they see it. But I... I like putting them in a 3D form and uh, seeing them in movement. And so where... Where are those key poses? For example, if you're animating a punch, uh-huh. where are the key poses to you when you're sort of planning that punch out from beginning to end? Yeah, that's an intuitive thing. Um, I mean, if we're, we're going to talk about just for the sake of an example, a punch. There's always the anticipation, the the hit point, and the recovery. Those are the key points I've I've seen as a formula. But you know, just overall animation, those key frames that comes with uh, uh, just experience and being intuitive to recognize what's What's uh what's a keyframe? Is it the case that, for example, at Disney Animation Studios in the fifties and sixties, right? They would uh-huh. 
they would do some keyframes and then they would pass those downstairs and somebody would fill them in. That's right. Um, is there a, I mean, was there an accepted sort of cadence to where those keyframes were in the Disney animation style that you picked up? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a hard one, Eric, because it, it's such an intuitive thing. I guess the easiest way to break it down to uh, the way we can understand, you know, you, you recognizing uh, uh, Hong Kong martial arts is when they, when they hit that pose and they, they strike that pose like a hit form or an anticipation, but they, they hold it for like a second. That's the easiest way I, I could I could uh, describe it if you were to translate that to martial arts uh, in cinema. Um, and then the in between, the th- of course, there's some kind of flourish or there's some kind of nice curve that go flows in one pose after into the other. Did you play any video games growing up? Yeah, yeah. Um, Street Fighter Two on Super Nintendo. Yeah, actually, a very good example of uh, uh, recognizing keyframes because that's the that's a great example of them just hitting those key points. And when they hit those key points, they they uh, uh, the designers would would just hold that frame so the player can feel it on that controller, and that how, that's how it's emphasized. Um, right now, with uh, we're into a Street Fighter. Is it six? The six? You, you'll see the same thing, but this time we, because it's in three D, you'll. They'll hit the frame, but they'll they'll have like a jiggle in that frame, you know. I played it a little bit at Comic Con, and what I loved about the animation style is that I mean, it's like when you hit the button, it's maybe a frame before you actually hit the pose. Yeah. But then there's a recovery animation out of the pose, and that recovery animation is very detailed and has so much life to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was doing God of War, I learned that that is a move. So. The movement, like you said, there's anticipation, hitbox, recovery. Mm-hmm. And then there's the beginning and end of all that too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like five pieces of a move. Yeah. And now when I look at movement, it's like conjugating a verb. I look oh, at yeah. I look at the end of a move now. It's like how do you like what does the person do after the move? Are they thinking about after that pose? And they put they seem to have put a lot of thought into Street Fighter Six. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And animated could spend an entire eight hour, eight, 10 hour day, just tuning a punch to get that feeling to go along with the look. Cause the, 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 the animation and the design and the feel of uh, that attack, they, they just go hand in hand. And yeah, I mean, we're all force unleashed. I, I, yeah, I do the same thing. I'll be tuning just one move the entire day, uh, moving a frame here, moving a frame to, to, to two frames here and there. It's just a little bit back and forth and a lot of feel. How much of that is trying to make it look good versus feel good? I know it's a combination. It is a combination. It's it's a it's a massage process that takes a long time, and uh, it's it's fun, man. That's one of my favorite parts uh, in production of getting that the, right. And once you hit it, you know it feels so good. It feels so good. When you're blocking out like a combat engine, for example, um, can you talk through that process? Like what? What you're trying to do, what you're looking for, what you see. So in in the case of, uh, let's say, a lightsaber swing, um, taking that same basic formula, you got the idle, you got the anticipation, the hit frame, recovery, and back to idle. Um, You take out the bookends of the idle, you got those three key key moments, anticipation, hit frame, and the recovery. Um, And then the, the, in your, in, in the Maya or whatever animation package you use, it's going to interpolate linearly. So you, you'll you'll go from anticipation, hit. So this is very linear. It'll go through a recovery and then back to idle. Um, export that basic movement out with the, the, the 3D package just interpolating it. Uh, that basic animation, because there's movement in arrays already in animation, that block, uh, into the engine, and of course, uh, I'm sure other animators told you this. When you export an animation, it's it's never going to look or feel like what you saw in the 3D package. It's got compression. Uh, it's gone through a whole other export process right into the engine. So that's another feel. So you have to see if if that basic block looks like what you were feeling in the 3D 3D uh, package. If not, you have to massage it accordingly to see what you get in in the game. So you're just gonna, you're just gonna have to keep noodling around with those key poses and exporting it again and again and again until you get something right. Okay, and then once you get something close, then you start feeling the in between of those 
five hoses, adding curves, adding more filler of uh, making this sword swing uh, look and feel proper. And it's just it's just basically that. You know, you're just going to have to keep exporting it, exporting it. There are days I exported like a, over 100 times just to get that feel, get that controller in your hand. Until you get to a base point where it starts to feel right, if, then you put in effects or uh, uh, your the, the the AI opponent that, that you're going to be hitting. So, yeah, it's, it's just a slow, methodic process. I mean, some people might not be exciting, but to an animator, uh, getting into that flow, uh, it, it takes you a long way. Yeah. What would you say uh, kindled your animate your interest in doing animation? Movement, dynamic movement. Um, Blur is a great example. Blur Studios, I think they're a great example of, of of combining CG with great action. And you know that that studio has achieved stuff that I've only dreamed of. You know, to see such dynamic motion uh, in animation. So a lot of that stuff I, I was already kind of imagining. I said, I want to see this kind of stuff in video games. Uh, uh, video game cinematics or video game in-game real real engine real time you know aside from tinkering with um the disney um animation software what was your training in animation oh self-taught i did go to the academy of art college um because i wanted to learn 3d it was that was the time when jurassic park just came out and so 3d was a new thing to everybody even the instructors there i w- went to school just to see if i could learn some 3d there um the teachers were still learning it so they were trying to learn it and trying to teach it to us uh it wasn't worth the money so i i was mostly self-taught that's kind of funny it was right at the cusp of a new era wasn't it it was it was um at that time there was like very little competition in uh getting into the 3d world and i I mean, I'm like you, Eric, where you just see something, you 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 imagine something, you want it so bad, you want to get in that space, and you know there's a lot of unexplored areas. And that's how I kind of felt about 3D animation. Uh, yeah, yeah, because my uh, my first game was on the PS1, and that's still, I mean, that's, that kind of stuff is hard to look at right now, the PS1, but at the time, you know, there's just so much potential. Which game is that? Uh, my first game was Gauntlet 3D from Atari. I remember it well. I enjoyed that game. That was a lot of fun. I look at PS1 gameplay, uh, animation, uh, pretty simple. Yeah. Um, was that due to limitations on your side or was it just, you just weren't? Total tech limitation. What I described earlier about hitting those, uh, five poses, that's all we really had. We, there was no in between because there, the, the compression was really crude, uh, and we can't afford the memory for extra frames. So you, you animated this. These uh, linear-looking uh, motions, uh, that's pretty much what you get. And I was doing texturing, too. So uh, I can only uh, tech when I textured the environment, there was these little bitmaps uh, that were like 8 by 8 pixels. So I was p- pixel pushing. Right now, a lot of 3D artists, they get to uh, paint their textures. You know, It feels almost like you, you are doing pixel art animation. It almost seems like the same amount of limitation. <laughs> Yeah, I learned a lot back then. You learn a lot with what you you use what you had, right? Um, yeah. What software were you using to do animation back then? Uh, it was the same thing, uh, Maya Maya 3D. The average attack animation was ten to fifteen frames. It was a uh, you know it was a frame limitation as well. So we had this big powerful package, but that's you know we're limited to the hardware that we're exporting it to. Was there a moment when new software, new hardware came out where you felt like you you suddenly now have the freedom to animate on a new level? Not really. It was it was a very gradual process, right? I mean, you saw it from PlayStation One to PlayStation Two and Three and so forth, because you know once once we the devs get our dev kits, you know they have to figure out how to use it, and then they communicate that with us, the, the artists, to what kind of limitations we had. So it was gradual. It's like oh. You know, from PlayStation One and the kind of engine we were using, we were using, we could only use, do uh, linear type animations. By PlayStation Two, okay, we could have a little bit of more curves. You know, get play in here and play with it here and there. And PlayStation Three, okay, it gets more robust. You know, we get to have longer animations. So it was a more gradual, gradual process. You know, uh, as I went through. So I, I don't remember if there was a, a time where things were revolutionized for uh, 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 animators. Was there a game that you worked on where you felt 
like aha now i'm finally animating the way i've always wanted to animate <laughs> yeah that's every project right because you know how back then when you look at a computer graphic you go oh that's realistic but then you know this because it's new so when you look back right now it's really hard to look at you know right now we're looking at uh how games are now they look so nice and clean and and, and realistic you know so i'm sure in another 10 years, they're going to look back at what we're looking at now and say, wow, you know, how did they work that way? You know? So, uh, so every, every, every opening that we get as devs, you know, it, it seems very uh, uh, more and more exciting. So we, we, we think we, we hit a point where uh, we have the tools and toys to play with, but there's just going to be more and more because computers always going to be too slow for a human. Yeah. That's a very, uh, that's a very optimistic and like good way of looking at, at, uh, at your work. When did you first, start working with motion capture um as an animator director was at the same time uh that i was actually in my first job um at the time uh yeah animators were responsible for their own capture sessions uh there was a couple there's a there's a, a martial arts couple i forgot their names they're a very nice couple uh, i think they were chinese but um yeah i i was new to that i understand the process of how the cameras work and the movements I'm looking for, so I was working with them, and so they were learning at the same time I was learning. And and, and uh, a big thing for me that I I needed to get out of, and I think this is a lot with a lot of animators or designers or animation directors is communication with the martial artists or the the, the performers. You know, I think that's a big thing with where things break down if you don't have good communication, you just can't get the kind of moves that you're looking for because sometimes the the, the performers you hire they don't understand why are this this limitation why am i only able to act in this box you know why do i have to keep facing this way um they don't see that so because we're we're the developers we're always having those kind of metrics in our head and they don't but you know communicating that is really really important what was it like shooting on mocap in those early days and do you remember what system it was no no actually we, yeah we we were working with motion builder i work with a very crude version of motion builder very crude like it's come a long way uh Markers were a lot less. Um, data took longer to process, and uh, I remember that the the motion we got wasn't as clean. So, what kind of? I mean, what did that process look like when you you do a mocap shoot? You get the data, and there's a lot of work to be done on it. Is, is there a part of you that says, "I should have just done this by hand"? Uh no, no, and and the process. It wasn't as robust as it is, as it is now. There's like an extra two, three steps to when we get the data right now. Back then, it was just we we got it. If we see it on the monitor that we captured, uh, we have to go back to all the data and make sure all the markers are in place, and then we just take the data just like that. It was very, very crude. Um, there's an extra process right now where we go through that. We have a real time uh, models where the, the stunt people can look at, and we could as as well. And we see if it looks good on that, and that we know that's verified to go to the next step. Yeah, we didn't have all that. It was very, very crude and straightforward. Were there any memorable motion capture directing experiences before Mafia Three that stick out? Whether it was trying out a new idea, or like there's a new there's an update with motion capture technology that allows you to do something new. No, my 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 personal thing, um, as you know, Eric, is that every every new performer I get to meet and work with is a privilege. You know, just I that's been my dream to work with these athletes, man. That's that's the exciting part uh, I see, and getting as much of that performance as possible into the game. I, I assume around around now you're getting into martial arts, boxing. What made you get into boxing? So in my twenties, I, I yeah, I had no, I wasn't working, I wasn't doing anything. I was just focused on on job and making games at the time. A neighbor of ours who was, uh, uh, we knew her for a while. She was a heavy set woman, and uh, we haven't seen her in a while. When we walk our dogs, we usually bump into her. And uh, about nine months later, we bump into this uh, this really skinny woman, uh, very fit looking, very vibrant, and. But hey, that's Susan. That's our neighbor. What happened? What's your transformation? And she was all excited telling us about this boxing gym that uh, uh, she found. And she got us excited. And my wife was excited. And she said my wife wanted to join. And so we checked out this boxing gym. Went in there. Uh, um, I met with the coach. I really got into it. I really got into the whole workout. Uh, uh, 
all these technical movements within boxing. My wife was just there for the cardio. That started there, and I just continued to go work with my coach at the time, another couple of years in, in traditional boxing. Then uh, um, I started getting into kickboxing with another coach, and uh, shortly after that, I found another coach that uh, taught Muay Thai, and I, I trained with him. Well, I assume you did a lot of sparring, of course, so that's a big part of the game in boxing. What was that like, going from being an animator, doing nothing really physical in your 20s, to suddenly getting punched in the face? Oh, that's no fun. <laughs> to, to this day, it's no fun. And uh, um, I wouldn't recommend the way I was thrown in there. Uh, my first coach threw me in the ring with a bunch of guys that like to spar, and, and I just got knocked around a lot. And uh, um, I didn't learn anything. Well, I learned what, a, what, a, what it feels like to take a hit. You know, so uh, he just wanted me to go from zero to 100 uh, just because he was one of those sink or swim moments. Um, so I, when I'm working with another coach, you know, he just kind of wrapped me up a little bit more slowly. You know, just uh, start with uh, reps, routines, you trade uh, flip flows, back, blows back and forth. Uh, and then we get a little, something, a little, a little bit more freestyle and get into play. And sparring with somebody you trust is, is a lot of fun, too. But uh, uh, easing into it was a better method for me to learn. You know. I mean, how did it affect how you animated and shot motion capture, particularly with combat? Because, you know, boxing and kickboxing are not they're not elegant arts in the traditional martial arts sense. There's no flourishes. You don't spin around before you throw a punch. Yeah. Yeah. Very efficient. Even ducking in boxing, it's it's is it's as little as you can possibly get. Exactly, exactly. Around the time when I was first training, um, I was working on a game uh, called Indiana Jones and the, I forgot the, the subtitle after that. That game never came out with LucasArts, but I was working on an Indiana Jones game and I was part of the combat group. So I was starting to animate a lot of uh, the fight moves or at least blocking them in with a very, very closed posture, more realistic. And uh, so I took it way to this extreme where it just didn't translate very well. It took me a while to understand that, you know, you, you can't do that, you know, you, you have to take a little bit of what you learn and and mix it up a little, see what works, what reads back to as a silhouette, you know. And I think that's the start of making a big mistake of recognizing that silhouettes need needs uh, uh needs to show. It's important to to uh, emphasize that. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Going from one extreme and, and slowly coming out of that to to uh, learn to make these read better. You know? From what I know about um Donnie Yen, he so he would take. Jiu-jitsu, judo, boxing, whatever it was. And every time he was taking these arts, what he's trying to do is find, he's trying to find like the brand, the essence of it that he can exploit as a moment, as a silhouette. He's a, he poses like he has oh, yeah. very iconic poses now. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he came up with some that I still see people, I still see people using these same poses. It's yeah. very important. I mean, as an animator, what do you what are you looking like? Do you do you look at I and mean, you must look at things differently now? I mean, the human body can can you know hit so many nice poses, you know. It's just I know we've seen a lot of fight poses in games, you know, and in movies, you know, but I know we haven't seen them all. You know, I'm always looking for something, something new. So when you mentioned Donnie, yeah, he's always I appreciate him um trying different looks here and there, you know. So you've taken martial arts, boxing, and kickboxing. Uh, again, very efficient martial arts styles. When you watch these movies, now that you've done martial arts, is it any different? You know, as you go, when you work on a craft, as you as you mature, you start to, I, I don't want to say get too comfortable in one area, but you start to gear towards a style that, you're, you're, that, that resonates with you. Just all the stuff that, you know, Jackie and the whole Hong Kong uh, uh, industry has, has come out with these movies. They're, they're really great looking stuff. I still enjoy them, watching them to this day. But to me, just right now for what I do, that stuff doesn't have a lot of weight to me. It gets too flourishy. There's there's uh, there's too much happening at once, you know, unless that's the nature of the game. Um, I just really like to emphasize uh, uh, good heavy attacks that lands and has an effect, you know. Um, so yeah, just, I feel like that, that just for what it is back then or, or what they actually still do right now, it, it works for it in the context of what they do, but for what I do, it, it, it wouldn't, I guess the closest game I could think of that tried something like that is a Sifu, uh, that you, I'm sure you've seen that game. Uh, they tried a little bit of that. And, uh, um, yeah, yeah. But for what I do just, just generally, 
going from, let's say, would be Mafia 3 or Force Unleash or a uh, recent Callisto Protocol. Yeah, we, we, we need to really have our attacks a lot more heavy, a lot more weighty. It does feel like a very American yeah. American thing, even though Muay Thai sort of is that language. Although, interestingly, before a Muay Thai match, you do you do your ritual dance. You do your flourishing before the match, right? Right, right. right. So that's kind of still kind of built into the ritual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, there was that time period in the late 90s uh, that I call the spillover mm-hmm. when a bunch of Hong Kong stars and filmmakers came to the States or Australia or Canada or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right before the Hong Kong handover. Mm-hmm. And we had all of these like very flourishy kind of action scenes in Hollywood and in video games. Like, yeah, Jackie Chan's Stuntmaster, uh, Rise to Honor came out later on. Um, There's a Chinese fat game, obviously. Yes. And it was like there was a period there. I don't know. It seemed like America really loved that stuff. Mm-hmm. What did you what did what were you thinking when you saw these movies coming to America? No, well, it was exciting at the time, you know, and I think like anything new, that's why people gravitated towards it. They haven't seen anything like that before. It's new. It's exciting, you know. But as you know, as uh, as that time went on, we they want to see where you can take that next rather than just stick with the same formula over and over. Just generally speaking, I mean, there's so many movies right now, just seeing how when that kind of stuff came over to America, now we're starting to see that more incorporated into superhero movies because it fits in the context of those characters, right? Um, because they're superheroes. They, they have the power, they have the speed to, to pull these kind of moves off. And I think that's a, that's a great way to, to uh, show off this kind of art form. Yeah. This is around the time I started making indie martial art movies and yeah. I was a Hong Kong film nut, and which is why I love working with you because I could just hey, remember that movie Prodigal Son. Oh yeah, when they're on the table, yeah, let's do that, but let's change it. You just knew everything, and that's like yeah. <laughs> just eliminate. It just eliminates so much <laughs> like unnecessary, you know, like explaining. Mm-hmm. And I remember going into to L.A. and finding out that that Hong Kong kind of spillover period. Uh, suddenly things were going much more in the born identity direction. Yeah. Like, do you have a general read on that? Oh, well, you're talking about born identity in particular. I felt like that was his own thing. Um, cause that, that damn camera was just all over the place. I couldn't read anything. It, it was especially bad in uh, born supremacy. I think he dialed back a little bit, born uh, ultimatum and you can see what's happening, you know? And, uh, I feel like there's a balance in that. Right. I mean, at that point, it's just not even about the art form of, of just fighting anymore. It's just editing your sound effects. You know, it needs to, they all need to flow together. Um, how old Hong Kong styles, they're, they're like long shots. And you see all the action. The the uh, the, the artists, uh, the martial artists and stunt people, they, they carry on the scene. You know, right here when they push it into close like Born Identity, uh, then it's going to the other extreme. And I think as you pull back to something a little bit more um, balanced, I think a good example of that what I'm trying to say is, um, you see, I saw The Devil, Korean movie. It's well edited. You can see what's happening. Um, a lot of character to them. Uh, I, feel, I feel like that's one example. Is it's, it's nicely balanced, you know. Brings me to a question about mocap again. When you're mocapping on the stage, there's this kind of balance as a filmmaker, and I would always try and strike this, where do I push the performer to their maximum? Mm-hmm. Or do I rely on the technology to make them look good and just kind of let them phone it in, <laughs> right? And that's a case-by-case basis. Yeah. But what is your kind of ideal shoot? Do you want the performer to do what they're going to do? Or do you just want them to be comfortable and have fun and you can just fix it all in animation later? Yeah, you know, every animator is going to be different. They're probably going to give you different answers. Um, you might have gotten a different answer from Kento. Because to me, I'm looking for very particular body parts when you guys perform uh, hips, spine, and shoulders in particular for me, I want to retain as much of that as possible in, a, in the mocap performance. Because the, the feet and the arms, and especially the head, I usually just, I, I do that all by hand afterwards. So when you guys hit those shapes, when the stunt performer hits those shapes, they hit those forms, uh, and the timing is right. And that, that's my shot because I know I'm going to fix a lot of it later on. You know, 90% of the time, I'm going I'm to go ahead and say probably 95% of the, the uh, performance are modified, N- not changed, more so enhanced. 
So, you know, let's say, let's say just for sake of example, you, you jump up, you do a kick onto a, a wall, a padded wall, we did something, you know, I'm going to take that, that uh, I'm going to take the 3D model. I'm going to exaggerate the arc of how he jumped up. I'm going to raise the height. I'm going to extend the leg even more. I'm going to raise the arms even wider. So everything's enhanced. I could see that in the, in the, the God of War games. I could see your movements in there, Eric, and I could see where they, they pulled it apart even more. You throw your punches, they, they made your arms even wider and exaggerated even more. And so that's what I look for. I look for the core of the performance. I mean, literally the core of the, the person. Uh, that spine, that performance is there. Right? We want to retain those uh, areas in the motion capture performance. And then I punch it up. I punch it up and, and exaggerate it and enhance it when I get it into the game. And what was your process when, when directing action and mafia three like how do you what does that whole pipeline look like like how do you think through a move and how do you direct it how do you get a performer to do what you need them to do and when are you satisfied it all starts with sitting down with the designers okay what's going on in this scene here okay lincoln clay is has this going to be fighting in this room and he could do this this and this to the ai okay i asked what are the limitations what are the metrics what are the rules basically I get all those rules down and I like to sit for a day and describe as many variations of moves that I could think of. Um, and, and if he's weapon, is, if he's, is he unarmed? What, what's, what's, the, what's the rules within what his moves are? So I take this to the stage um, before stunt people come and I describe to the, uh, the crew what I need, what I need to do. You know, if we need to build any stages or anything like that. And so while they have their set, set up, usually it's just a mat, right? Most most times it's just a mat, and I just need some color tape on the floor uh, for metrics purposes. Performers come in. I describe what I need. I describe the rules uh, to what I need, and uh, and that that's that's basically what I need the the performer to know the rules that I'm working with. But all the other stuff about the the, the spine performances and all the exaggerating stuff that usually I keep that I try to keep that transparent. Um, or, or not even mention it to the performer because they don't need to think about all that. They, they need to perform the way they're, they're comfortable with. As I'm describing what I came up with, uh, as you know, I always like to hear any variations within that. You know, we, I want to get as much good stuff as possible while you guys are up there. We shoot it over and over. Um, safety is my big thing because I want to make best use of you guys' energy level as possible. You know, And I, I don't think a lot of people are mindful of that. I don't know. This is like this... Uh, with directors with film, but understanding, maintaining the, the stamina of a performer is very important. Otherwise you won't get the variation amount that you, you, uh, you need, you know, you, you, I don't want to limit to how much we got to shoot there. We just got to be very efficient with uh, the energy level of the performer. Shoot all that goes through a process with the mocap crew comes back to my desk and, uh, we start the iteration process of course, um, you know, just little, little, little things like fingers and, and uh, um, uh, fixing feet placement, things like that. Uh, before I, I get it in the game, that raw piece of mocap is what I get in the game to see what it looks like first. How bad what did, it, did it compress? Where does it need to be exaggerated? And once I see it in game, that's when I go back to my desk and start that exaggeration process, that enhancement process I described. Uh, once that's enhanced. That's where I start to iterate, 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 get the feel, look at the game. Yeah. I've worked with performers in the volume before who like don't get it. Mm-hmm. And they don't they don't care to get it. Fortunately, it's it's I've actually it's like a minority of performers. Um, there is something of a selection process for getting a performer in the volume. How do you get the performer that you need into the volume so that you can get what you need? And make your day a lot easier. Going back to the moves that I described and just coming across uh, uh, performers' demo reels to see if there's anything that uh, can be suitable for what I'm looking for uh, and make a match there. What are you looking for when you look at people's demo reels? Because this, this, is, this is great information for people who are interested in getting in, into motion capture um, because a stunt demo reel might, might not have what an animator needs or what they're looking for. For me, um, stamina, good control of their body, and uh, good attitude. <laughs> Those three things. 
because everything else I think I you know they you got those three things I, I'm sure we can you know have a uh, we can meet somewhere in between where we can we both can get uh, something out of it. What's your thought process when it comes to choreography? Like, how do you think about movements? What are you looking for with a string of movements like that? I just look for these key movements. I, I like to keep things kind of high level, and I want to see what the performer has to to come up with that. You know. Oh, see if they enjoy that process. For the most part, the, the people I work with seem to enjoy what coming up with stuff. And so I, I just like to have big beats that fits what the designer needs. And things that happen in between, I I I like to stay open. You know, I like to stay flexible. I don't like to say this is the way we're gonna do it and that's it, you know, because otherwise um you can you can really paint yourself in a corner if you just stay rigid and, and not be open to ideas. Yeah, yeah. So for me, big beats, that that's my thing. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about violence in general. Right. It's a hot button topic. It always is. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, they just focus on different parts of society being violent. Sure. In the 60s and 70s, it was riots and mm -hmm. Vietnam War. In the 80s, it was the arms race. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's refreshing about working with you is that you you don't really shy away from violence. Like you're not afraid of it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that comes from boxing? And fighting uh i think it, it it was way back when let's go back to when i first watched jackie chan when i was four years old so back then i went to um we went to an old chinatown uh ghetto theater that's where i watched my jackie chan mom took me now that theater always had a cold feature they had jackie chan movie the latest and a movie before and after that was some some sick Hong Kong horror movie. It was always about serial killers or ghosts or something. And they would mm -hmm. play these movies back to back. My mom would always take me and eat early to the movies. And for whatever reason, she made me sit through that. She says, you wanted to see the movie. We're going to stay here. <laughs> and we're going to, here's your lunch. You know, you're eating in the theater and we'll wait for the Jackie Chan movie. So I endured all that. I mean, I know some other kid might've uh, translated those imagery uh, differently. But to me, uh, it was very disturbing, the stuff I saw. It was very disturbing. But to me, I just, uh, I guess for such a young kid, I started to meld some of that with the Hong Kong action that I saw after. So I became a little desensitized with some of that. How does that play out in your action design process? And have you ever, I mean, like sometimes do you find yourself going over the top or maybe you're actually hitting the mark in a way that nobody else is quite hitting it? Like, you know, the raid, for example, came out and it, they just did some stuff in that movie that nobody else was quite willing to do. <laughs> Those guys. Uh, uh, when I saw that, I was really excited. I go, hey, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> that was a new thing. They were making contact a lot, and they were they were uh, they hit a they struck a chord in me when I saw that. You know, I said somebody's doing this. You know, somebody's doing this. I will say this: I don't I don't like violence for the sake of violence. Well, I like there to be some reason behind that. I'll give you an example. Um, Star Wars Force Unleashed DLC 1, I believe. There's a fight between uh, Starkiller and Obi-Wan. And uh, there was a, there's a saber. I, I animated a whole saber fight between the two. And there was a moment where uh, Starkiller would pin Obi-Wan against the wall and started slowly skewering him into the wall. And that was just a, a, a moment for me to show that this is his way of dominance. Of, uh, that's what they wanted by the way I didn't just make that they they wanted this kind of um, uh, character display for that so when they did DLC they started having these scenes where uh, uh, some storage troopers were just shooting up Chewbacca just non-stop and there was a lot of laughing it was just there's no uh, reason for this it was more uh, violence for the sake of violence so I don't think they understood what I was going for here in DLC 1 and they carried it out to this whole other level where there was just no reason for uh, uh, making these kinds of actions. Absolutely. You know, I noticed this with um, villains in movies a lot of the time where they will write a very kind of schoolyard villain that they, they show their cards too much uh -huh. and they're not real. You know, they're not sneaky. I don't know if it's because sometimes people don't have a, an understanding of what evil is. Uh -huh. It's mean spirited. It actually, it actually feels a little bit, cruel from the perspective of art right like like they're trying to like they're almost like they're abusing the audience at times right right if you're going to put do violence it should be part of why to you know 
uh, how the character was portrayed to begin with. There was a lot of violent uh, moves we did in Mafia 3. Well, Lincoln Clay was this guy that was not treated very well, and he fought in Vietnam and was forced to do a lot of things he didn't want to do. Uh, so it made sense for some of the actions that he did. There's something about Korean films where like, they hold up this mirror to you. So what do you see in something like I Saw the Devil, mm-hmm. where it's this sort of like dark anti-hero who... Uh, it's it's about him kind of chasing down his the serial killer and just torturing him. That movie to me just it, it was much like a mouse toying with its prey. Doesn't he have a moment where he asks himself? In fact, I think even the villain asks him, like, "You're kind of getting to be as bad as I am." And I think that's a good that's a good point. You 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 forgot about that. He did bring that up. That you're becoming as bad as I as me. Are we all of such behavior? I I don't know. I mean, put us, you know, take away our our, our food uh, abundance, and in a, a hostile situation where we're desperate, you know, we're going to become different kinds of people. Uh, I I hope I never find out, but uh, I I think uh, we we all have that primal instinct in us. I think that that's something about South Korean cinema right now that is very unique. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. seem to be exploring this very freely. It's so good. <laughs> It's so good I can't watch it sometimes because I don't I don't want to look in the mirror like that. But you but you enjoy that kind of introspection and wondering like well what would happen if I were in this situation? Yeah. More curious than enjoyment. Like you know, Mortal Kombat, you know, you you were part of that, you know. Um that's, that's to me that's pure over the top entertainment and that's a little overboard for me. <laughs> you know, there's nothing curious about that. It's just this insane uh, level 12 violence, you know. But uh, uh, how how serial killers tick? Um, that, that, you know, I'm just really I'm really fascinated by what's driving this this kind of motive. You know, um, are they just not seeing humans anymore when they look at another person when they're strangling another person? What are they seeing? You know, I don't know. It, like, does it take a madman to make a movie like that? It kind of it kind of does in a way. It, or like you uh, said, maybe is it within all of us? Uh, Paul Verhoeven. Now, I watched his interview. I can't tell if he gets excited for the kind of violence he does, but he did state that. He says, I, I just enjoy violence because this is what I grew up with. It's quite normal to me, and I like to you know, display a little bit of what I've uh, experienced, and this is what I like. I like violence. He's, just, he's really straight up about it. Uh, I, I To this day, I'm still trying to interpret what that means. Does he enjoy it in a sadistic way or... Does he? Yeah, I don't know what kind of pleasure he's taking from that, you know. Um, but he definitely goes over the top. The villains in these in these movies, even though they were cheap, um, they still sort of showed a human side, mm. which made them scary. Oh, they weren't comic book characters; they were yeah. real. And this, and it just showed like here's a guy that went south, mm-hmm. and it makes you wonder like, uh oh, what if what if I go south? <laughs> yeah, I, I see. Uh... I see a lot of correlation with uh, animals hunting other animals. As much as it is hard for me to to uh, watch that sometimes, I remember I remember Eric a, a year or so ago we previewed something where you play multiple different characters uh, lynching one person. You remember that one we did in L.A. I believe, uh, and that was inspiration from uh, 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 this footage I saw of a pack of wolves uh, beating up on a beta. And that that was that was really harsh stuff for me to watch, you know. And all these wolves just ganging up on this, and this happens in nature, you know. So you know, I just wonder: is that that kind of stuff? You know, comes back to it's is it already in us? Is just deep, just embedded deep down in us, you know, in our subconscious. Uh, that's been the question for so long. Yeah, it's been the debate between behaviorists versus um, primatologists, right? And primatologists say everybody's got violence, sort of. It's the Freudian idea, right? Where well, you've just got aggression bubbling up and you got to get rid of it somehow. So let's find some avenue for it. Whereas the behaviorists will say, well, this person wouldn't have aggression if it weren't for the fact that he lives in an aggressive society. I, this is the kind of stuff I like thinking about, the causes and effect, you know, um, which is, you know, it comes to how I view fight scenes now. I like to look for the cause and effect. I like to see why a character is fighting. Why, why what's driving this person to, to do all this uh, rather than just have a movie with a bunch of uh, action scenes. Um, it, it doesn't even have to be about uh, uh, just people. I even see um, 
give you a recent example. The Jurassic World series is an over-the-top mess. These dinosaurs are angry and hungry all the time. That's not realistic, okay? Uh, I saw the Apple uh, dinosaur series. That was such a joy. I mean, they, they, they base all this on studies of how these animals could look like and how they could behave. And when they fight, there's a reason. There's territory, there's hunger, there's protection for their young, you know. And, and uh, it was just a kind of a slow, methodic uh, study of why these animals act the way they act. So, I th- and I think that same way about writing uh, movie villains because bad guys are not bad guys are not going around swinging punches like they're they're methodical. Um, yeah. And I think that also this is a very this is a very dangerous way of thinking to think that violent people are stupid. It's extremely dangerous to think like this because it's like when people talk about criminals, they say all oh, criminals are stupid. Mm-hmm. No. Criminals know the law. The minute a law is passed, they all know it long before you know it. <laughs> right? Like the average person does not know the laws the way a criminal does. So the criminal knows exactly what they need to do in order to avoid the law. <laughs> and if you happen to be on that path, then look out. <laughs> so this is, uh, you know, it's like there's there's like, I mean, I have like an anti-cynic view on human violence where the more you can kind of understand and think like a criminal, mm-hmm. it's kind of like take a boxing class, get hit in the head, mm-hmm. might help you so that you can think like someone who is used to getting hit in the head. Yeah. It changes your game theory. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it I think it changes also how you approach combat design as well. Oh, yeah. 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 Just making all these connections. You know, that's the exciting part. If you could describe like the the movement style difference between. A Hong Kong punch, right? Mm-hmm. An American punch. Can you put your finger on that? The way I would see Asian, well, I see uh, in this case, uh, Hong Kong type of fight moves. There's a lot of movements. There's just not a lot of weight to it. Maybe they'll punctuate it at the end. That's not a bad thing. That's just how it, they like to show it off. For Westerns, I think they want to feel that weight. They want to emphasize where the, uh, the punctuation point is. Uh, they, they like to relish in that that one or two one or two attacks react to it. This might sound kind of bad, but I feel like so, some of the Western moves I see when they're fights, there's a lot more going up here. A lot of more, there's more battle going on here. You know, Hong Kong movies. I feel like Hong Kong movies is just to see how one can outlast the other uh, in physicality, um, which is what what makes it interesting too. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It almost plays as like a sport or a. Or like a formal dance in a way. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Like a dance. Again, like you said, in the old west, the fight's going on here. That's a great way of putting it. And I think in Japan, it's the same thing. In mm-hmm. in like samurai films, it's all here. Yeah, yeah. Very little movement, even you know, and mm-hmm. that's what a gun duel is. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, do you see the same kind of thing in say the older Star Wars sword fights? Yeah, because there's a lot of uh, internal battle between uh, Obi Wan and Vader, right? There's a lot of dialogue in between their swings. Um, those are those are uh, incredible fights. And at first, I I always cite Obi Wan versus Vader because if you were to just look at the movement on that fight, it's garbage. The movement's garbage. The the lines are terrible. None of that matters because it's all here and it's all story and it's so minimal. It's actually like it's, it's it is like a properly Japanese fight. And so oh. is it. So is the one in Empire. I tend to appreciate that kind of stuff as I got older um, because, you know, we, <laughs> as we get older, we, we start to process things a lot more and try to put our experiences to uh, um, what we're, we've been uh, seeing and how we view entertainment, you know? Um, I mean, I still love the, you know, like Obi-Wan versus Anakin in the uh, uh, revenge of the Sith. You know, I still appreciate that them fighting over the lava thing. It just, it just didn't mean as much when I saw them fighting in Star Wars Episode Four. You know, uh, yeah, that kind of plays like a disaster movie almost. Oh. <laughs> it's it's about the environment, right? All yeah. of the fighting is kind of meanwhile action. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did they have to go that long? I mean, it was visually pleasing, but yeah, did they have to go that long? Was, uh, and they did uh, Agent Smith versus uh, uh, Neil. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was interesting, but it just went kind of long, you know. Um, the Burley Brawl and Matrix Reloaded. That's a very Hong Kong fight, 100%, because you won't ping, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, it feels like, feels like opera. And, and to see uh, Neo as a character, just you see him grow and being tested this way, uh, that's what I saw as well. Uh, I think that's what some fight scenes I'm seeing are lacking, you know, um, uh, the growth of a character. You know what? Here's one um, that kind of bugged me. I, I don't know. You tell me if this is relevant. Um, She-Hulk. We almost worked on it. Oh, you almost worked on it. Almost worked on it, but we didn't. Uh, the Incredible Hulk, right? He he accidentally became the Hulk, and he he was trying to figure out as a person how he's going to cope with this. What does this mean with his family? You know, uh, he can't control it. He's going to struggle as a person. You know, and She-Hulk, she just gets the powers, and they're making a big joke out of it, and. I can't relate to that. There's no uh, struggle there. There's no, um, there's no growth to me. Uh, so I, I couldn't relate to it. It just, especially if you're, they're making a big joke about it, that she's going inside a courtroom as she hoped talking like a regular human and, and causing havoc. And there's no consequences to, to, you know, throwing, banging up a, a court room. And yeah, so it made, to me, it made it less relatable versus uh, somebody who accidentally turned into something against their will. And they had to figure out how they're going to cope with it. Yeah, that's kind of, kind of hero's journey that maybe some people get a little bit lazy about sometimes where they have a goal with the character. They want the character to win, but they don't. Maybe for personal reasons themselves, they can't imagine this character actually like going through trials and like difficulty and failure and, and weaknesses. Right. That's another thing I always ask because, you know, we get asked to design female characters all the time. And I'm always asking if your character was a villain. How would I beat? How would I beat her? Mm-hmm. And I get some thinking a little bit. Mm. Uh, maybe it's just a personal preference, Eric. Uh, I always feel that you got to go through some struggle in order to have some growth. Maybe this is an extreme example: the the new Mulan. I think they mucked that up because the original Mulan cartoon, uh, she saw that she can't physically uh, keep up with the men, but instead she uses her wits and her smarts to get over obstacles, and that was great. And I don't know why they didn't do that in this one. They just gave her powers, and that was that. Uh, let's see. I mean, we're in this generation that that you know is going through that, so maybe it just needs to yeah. take its course and see where it goes. You know. Yeah, it could be. And I think back to 1999, and the movies that stood out from 1999 are all these like cubicle movies. Then there are these like six cubicle movies: like Matrix, Office Space, Fight Club, American Beauty, American Psycho, uh, Clock Watchers. Around then. But all those movies had great contrast, too. I mean, being in a cubicle environment, such dull and drab uh, starts and seeing them breaking away from that kind of uh, imprisonment. Um, this has <laughs> been fascinating. And I'd love to I could talk to you all day. I know you oh, yeah. Oh, did we go over time, Eric? <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, support you in any way. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, definitely.